You're listening to STEM Essential, an Iowa Governor's STEM Advisory Council podcast. Hear from leading advocates and voices about why STEM education is crucial for our world today and tomorrow. Welcome, everybody, to Series 4 of STEM Essentials, podcasts featuring some of Iowa's and the nation's leading thinkers in STEM. This series is all about Iowa's STEM decade and beyond. I'm Jeff Weld, Director of Iowa STEM Council, an edunomic development initiative where education and economic development merge to improve lives and communities. The people we're hearing from are edunomic developers commingling their jobs with learning. Today, featuring an expert evaluator who has led the annual monitoring of Iowa STEM since our launch. Dr. Aaron Hyden is Assistant Director at the Center for Social and Behavioral Research at the University of Northern Iowa. She coordinates the monitoring of 18 yearly metrics that gauge progress of the Governor's STEM Advisory Council in partnership with the Research Institute for Studies in Education at Iowa State University and the Iowa Testing Program at the University of Iowa. Erin earned her PhD in Community and Behavioral Health from the University of Iowa in 2013, and her research interests span psychosocial factors and effects of injury, policy and evaluation research, and of course, STEM evaluation, which make her an ideal guest for today's topic, Return on Investment, Informing Our Pathway. Thanks for sitting down with me, Erin. Welcome. Hi, great to be here. I'm happy to join you today. All right, well, let's start by inviting listeners who uh, are STEM literate Iowans, young and old, to get to know you better. Specifically, I noticed lately, you've published lots of work in the area of multitasking. STEMers are quite accomplished at that. What lessons do you have for us as a result of your work in multitasking? Sure. Um, So one of the goals we have at the Center for Social and Behavioral Research, which I'll probably refer to as CSBR throughout the conversation, is to conduct um, and build in studies within the projects that we do that would advance methodological research in in science in the areas of survey methods and program evaluation. Um, It's not always feasible or possible to do this on all of the work that we do, but, um, you know, when we have the client's permission, we have included questions in some surveys we conduct about respondent multitasking and respondent burden and how that might affect the quality of the data we're able to collect. Um, So in, in more simple terms, you know, if a respondent is distracted or doing something else or another activity at the same time that we're gathering data from them, it might re- reflect on their knowledge or their attitudes about a specific topic um, compared to respondents who are not doing something else or bur- particularly burdened at that time. Uh, so with regards to STEM and your STEM listeners, I see that as relating Um, on a couple different fronts. Uh, One is just in the um, advancing of science and scholarship. Uh, I also view it in relation to technology because if there are technologies related to the mode in which a study is conducted that can alleviate respondent burden or that can counter respondent multitasking, you know, whether it's in the mode we choose, whether, you know, we can build in 
technology for online surveys or for telephone interviews, then the data we collect is better for um, the projects that we do. Uh, I think I'm with you. So I'm going to try and capture what I think is the upshot of this nexus between your multitasking research and STEM education. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds as though multitasking, we, we may be fooling ourselves that we're all high quality, efficient multitaskers. We're probably not doing everything well when we think we are as multitaskers, except that the technology, the T of STEM, might enable us to be effective multitaskers if we leverage technology effectively. Yes and no. <laughs> um, so I would say that, so what we found so far in our research is that multitasking does not affect data quality, but when a respondent is distracted, um, which is not quite the same thing because a lot of us are effective multitaskers. But when when a respondent is distracted, there there is times when that um, affects the information we're trying to collect. So, all right. So distraction is not necessarily synonymous with multitasking. You can be an effective, correct, uh, multifocal uh, capacity, but uh, distraction is deleterious to performing the task at hand. Yeah, there are some good multitaskers out there. Well, we're going to singularly task moving forward here. We're going to focus all in on STEM, uh, the work of the Governor's STEM Advisory Council. Um, since 2011, you have been with us since launch. It's ancient history in STEM time when you think about 2011, 10 years ago this, this month. Um, very few programs existed back then, let alone models for evaluating a STEM system. So what was it like? Take us back to that time yourself and, and then Director Jean Lutz uh, and now Director Mary Loesch and probably others uh, sat around a table somewhere and dreamt up, dreamed up a design framework for a brand new statewide STEM education outreach program. You did not have a lot of places to consult, not a very deep research uh, legacy. How did you all, what was the early thinking? What was it like? So that goes back to just slightly before the time I joined um, CSBR. Uh, certainly, Jean Lutz was at the table for those those first conversations, um, and my predecessor, uh, Disa Cornish. I joined shortly thereafter, so still have a good grasp of what was going on then. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, when we approach any project, we draw on our collective expertise in survey science and program evaluation even though we were less experienced topically in STEM education. You know, we always start from the, you know, in the scientific method, the equivalent would be the question, what is your research question? You know, that is, what does you want to know? At the practice level, which is what those conversations centered on at that time, was what do you want to know and how do you anticipate wanting to use that information? And by having a seat at that table from the very start, um, we could listen to the goals and the intentions emerge from the conversation that was happening around us. Um, and from that, um, including, which involved a lot of dialogue back and forth, several meetings, um, drafting some things, having people respond to uh, just some general structure that we had put out there. Uh, we, meaning, the greater CSBR team identified three broad constructs. Uh, the first was this 
this idea of awareness. Are Iowans aware of STEM? Um, the second broad construct was interest. Are Iowans students, teachers interested in STEM education? We were hearing this uh, around the table. And the third is in the area of achievement. How will we know what we do impacts achievement specifically in the related to math and science achievement among students, you know, and then from there, we got to work. We came back and um, we looked around to see what had been done previously. If anything, there wasn't much. Uh, if there was any other sector that we could draw on, um, and part of that was just looking at educational evaluation in general. Um, you know, at that time, a lot of the discussion nationally in the previous 10 years, that decade prior, centered on science and math education, framework for K through 12 science and math education. And it really hadn't gelled yet into this cohesive concept of STEM. Um, and even as um, I was thinking back and looking through some things, it wasn't until 2013 that even any technical reports really started to come out about STEM. You know, I'm thinking of ACTs, the condition of STEM report. So we really didn't have a lot to draw on. But from there, we, through conversation, identified, we had those four broad constructs. And so from there, we worked at identifying what were the measures and metrics that would reflect those three broad constructs, awareness, interest, and achievement. And then what methods we could use to collect those me measures and metrics. So for awareness, that evolved into, that was decided to be a statewide STEM survey of adult attitudes and perceptions about STEM education. In terms of interest, that was going to be conducted as part of Iowa testing programs effort to collect student interest in STEM related subject areas in pursuing a career in STEM. And then an achievement looking at uh, again, working with Iowa testing programs to look at achievement in math and science on Iowa standardized test. More broadly, there was also this effort because it wasn't feasible or realistic to do a full randomized control trial evaluation to look at any secondary data sources that could reflect sort of the STEM, the STEM landscape or the STEM culture in Iowa. And so we started looking at what national and state level data sets we could use to reflect um, higher education STEM enrollments in degree in STEM degrees, uh, high school uh, enrollment in STEM elective uh, subjects, ACT scores in math and science, um, and then employment in STEM fields. You uh, you mentioned a lot of. Uh prongs, metrics, measures, indicators, mm -hmm. overarching themes, awareness, interest, and uh, academic performance. Um, give us a sense of, and this part of this question might have predated you, and, and you're so right to credit Dr. Deesa Cornish, your predecessor there at the CSBR with whom we worked closely in the early days with Jean Lutz and Mary Loesch, 
And then along came IO testing, like you said, and along came the Research Institutes for Studies in Education at Iowa State University. And there are other contributors too. You mentioned, uh, not by name, but I'm gonna ask you, who are the other contributors of metrics? And in the same question, were you here when the, the three university consortium was developed or did that precede you? Because I'm curious how that went over. It sounds like it, somebody had told me this was kind of a first time these three entities, Iowa Testing at the University of Iowa, the RISE Institute at Iowa State University, and CSBR at UNI had worked together on a project. So big fat question there, who else is involved and what was it like in the early days of building that triad? So I wasn't there when the partnership was formed. Those relationships were already established uh, when I joined CSBR, um, but just barely. Uh, everybody, what I recall from that time is everybody was really excited about the collaboration because, as you mentioned, it was certainly, you know, the first we as a center had worked uh, collectively with the with Iowa's three region institutions. Um, we had had, you know, we had done work for, um, you know, with one or the other, but this idea of a collective effort um, had we had not done before. Uh, so that was really exciting, and it's actually one of the things that I'm really proud of, even looking back on that time and even now. I really like the fact that, you know, we're all working together. All three regent institutions are, are involved in a lot of ways. I think it mirrors the structure of Iowa's six STEM regions in that there's this collective ownership of evaluating uh, this these programs and these activities and these efforts in the state. And who are some of the contributors? Yeah, so you had mentioned the other contributors. It may have come out in some of your previous podcasts, but you've certainly, in terms of membership on the council, drawn on individuals from Iowa Workforce Development, ACT, Iowa Testing Programs, uh, the Department of Education, and those were, are all entities that stepped up and agreed to provide data where they could on indicators, measures, and metrics that might reflect STEM progress. So, for example, uh, Iowa Workforce Development, we work with them to define STEM occupations in Iowa in order to be able to track the number of STEM jobs and not only that, the number of STEM vacancies in any given year. Uh, ACT provides data on, and, and a lot of this is data that is accessible in their published reports that they produce every year for every state. So there's an ACT profile report for every state every year on you know, math, science, English, reading, social studies, and then in the last couple of years, they've added a STEM composite score to those STEM profile reports. Uh, we've worked with them off and on for uh, specific data requests, which they've always been really helpful in providing. You know, certainly Iowa testing programs, they're one of the three consortium members, but their partnership in being able to provide that math and science achievement data of students is, is a huge asset for our state. And it, it's definitely a team effort. And uh, I'll throw in a, a more recent a member to join the team, and that's the Center for Evaluation and Assessment at the University of Iowa. 
as well, special analyses and projects for us. All of this, by the way, uh, culminates in, a, in an elegant and widely admired document, I must say. My peers across the country have enormous respect and envy for the product you provide us every year. It's publicly available. It's the annual evaluation report for Iowa STEM published at our website, iowastem.org forward slash iowa-stem-evaluation. And this most recent one uh, just came out in uh, February. Well, let's go to uh, some of the challenges that uh, you've overcome. You got you got into this sandbox in the early days. The, the uh, triad was pretty nascent and everybody's still kind of finding their way. And um, you had these 18 metrics that you'd identified in lots of conversations with us. And, and we all agreed these were exceedingly valuable and you commenced on the tracking of them. What were some of the early challenges? What was maybe the most significant early challenge that you had overcome uh, to deliver us a valid assessment or monitoring study um, by that must have been uh, early 2012, maybe the first uh, of the evaluation mm -hmm. reports. Yes. What what come back to you is the uh, greatest challenges to getting that out? Well, certainly the greatest challenge in the beginning had to be defining those indicators. Uh, we knew which data we were going to collect ourselves. It was less clear which, what we could use in terms of secondary data, what, what other data was being collected at the state level or the national level that could um, inform the evaluation. At that time, there was some references just coming out on best practice indicators in STEM education. Uh, certainly some of the ones I've already mentioned were included, uh, math and science achievement, uh, post-secondary enrollment in STEM degree fields, employment in STEM careers. Uh, one of the biggest challenges that I asterisk every year is how to define STEM jobs. And that's certainly been a challenge year over year in terms of how, what defines a STEM job or a STEM career. Uh, very early on, it was very limited in its definition, focusing on only those with bachelor's or if not graduate degrees. That definition has broadened over time uh, I think to the benefit of the STEM landscape and uh, you know, but making sure that we're keeping up with that, if not leading that effort in terms of broadening this, the definition of STEM jobs and STEM careers. And then of course, working with Iowa workforce development or, you know, federal data sets to identify through occupational codes, what those STEM jobs and STEM careers are. Once they were defined at that time, it then moved to identifying where we could find those data sources and vetting them based on our needs. If, if they were going to actually be able to provide science and math achievement data for Iowa, right? Or, you know, is it, is it more broadly just for the nation? Or if there was a data dashboard 
available on one of the federal sites, Bureau of Labor Statistics or what have you, could we get state level data? Was it good? How much, you know, was it actually uh, representative of what, um, what our sense of what it should be in the state um, all along? Um, but I think especially whenever you launch an evaluation or you're designing it or you're or even conceiving it, right? Before you're even thinking, putting pen to paper, even in that conception, conceptual stage, uh, there's that challenge to not let great be the enemy of good, right? Um, and I think looking back now, uh, we've really seen the benefit of that and knowing that that even though it may be there there were some secondary data sources which which didn't feed meet our needs perfectly it still helped move the needle and um, get us where we needed to be to the next step right we can always change later right but uh just getting that first plan on paper was probably the biggest challenge it was a a big present to be unwrapped by all of us when you delivered that, though. It's so incredibly valuable to inform what we do and where we go next. And here you are now, um, having delivered nine of these annual reports, working on number 10 as we speak, probably in some dimension. And um, one could say uh, you've gotten down to a well-oiled machine between you and, and the evaluation partners, all of whom now have this plugged into their annual cycles of life. But of, of all the metrics, of all the indicators you look at on our behalf and that you report back to us, which one kind of jumps out at you as a personal favorite? The thing you like to look at annually, saying something significant, uh, what would it be? Well, um, my favorite metrics are always the ones that give you the information you need and they get used and applied to help you with, inform your decision making, right? Like, I don't want the the effort that we do all year long to not be useful and not have utility to to the work you you do and the greater stem council you being the greater stem council and the the regional managers and so with that as my caliper if you will you know i would say um i always look forward to the findings of the statewide stem survey um because that reflects the data we've collected uh, in terms of, you know, our the the telephone survey that we conduct every year with Iowans on their awareness of STEM. You know, we have seen you be you, the STEM Council, be able to leverage the growth that we've seen in that area from 26% of Iowans being aware of STEM now to um, right around 60% as showing. Uh, the return on investment that and and the work you've done you know i have observed the how the the differences in student science and math achievement between those who participate in stem scale-up programs versus all students statewide has been a metric that is used often and again, so that's that's another one of my favorite ones um, because it involves working with Iowa testing programs, and uh, we know that's 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 direct data collection. That's that's information that we've collected from the students who are getting the programs that you are awarding. Re related to that, you know, I you know, or, and sort of that my favorite metric being the one that's always the one that gives 
you the information you need. Um, you know, there's a constant conversation that that I have with your team in making sure that the information that we're collecting and reporting is current and relevant to your needs. Um, not because the previous ones were bad per se, but that uh, you know they weren't being used and they they weren't providing information uh, in a way that could steer uh, decision making or activities that you had planned um, or what have you. Well, yeah, thank you. There's a lot of uh, calibration that takes place annually based on your findings, so. Uh, we're, we're big fans of all of those metrics, especially the demographic ones and the geographic ones that tell us where in the state we need to redouble our efforts or, or with which subpopulation do we need to redouble our efforts. And uh, we know that awareness has a geographic mm -hmm. effect um, and we know that impact has a demographic effect. We know that we struggle, continually struggling with uh, maximizing opportunities for uh, underserved populations of young Iowans. And so uh, we still have plenty of homework to do, but there's so many good things that come out of that annual review that I think put wind in the sails of all the people working on behalf of the STEM uh, Council. If you, um, if you could add a metric, I mean, here we are at year nine point nine and a half, and um, we, we have an annual conversation. I know uh, behind the scenes, folks, we meet annually with our evaluators to talk about how we can improve uh, what it is that they seek and ask and document and how it can inform what we do. So this isn't really a new question for Aaron, but it's it's new to be asked publicly. And that is, what aren't we asking? We have these 18 metrics and uh, they're informing us beautifully on a lot of levels, mostly happy, sometimes amping up the challenge. But um, have you considered a 19th metric? And if so, moving ahead, what would it be? Yeah. So the, those indicators, those 18 indicators are always a moving target. Uh, we are not able to report on all 18 every year uh, because of the timing of when data is released. Uh, in addition, um, over time, I can think of a couple that have been replaced or not reported on pending future decision making on what might be a better indicator for either workforce development or achievement or awareness. I've recently gone down some internet rabbit holes in anticipation of your next move uh, or the, the STEM Council's next move uh, in how to measure STEM equity. Uh, I know we haven't had too many conversations about that, uh, but I'm really encouraged by the potential there. Uh, there's some work already being done that we can draw on in terms of thinking about metrics that assess equity and access to STEM education programs and experiences. Certainly, you know, what's been done at sort of the institutional or infrastructure level to increase STEM readiness for inclusion and equity, um, tracking enrollment and retention in STEM degrees across various equity aspects of equity, whether it's related to gender, location, ge geographic location, urban versus rural, race, ethnicity, uh, socioeconomic status. Uh, those are all different demographics that I think you can, you can think about STEM equity. Uh, there's a couple other 
areas related to that, you know, in terms of continuing to track uh, the diversity and representation among participants in STEM scale-up programs, as well as in your other activities. Thinking about also diversity and representation among the educators and facilitators and the schools or entities or informal learning environments that, that are awarded the STEM programs. Little snapshot, haven't, haven't coalesced around anything yet, um, but there's work being done. There's certainly others that we can draw on um, in order to apply it in Iowa. Well, you're very dialed in, obviously, to the thrust uh, that the council uh, has charged us with, which is uh, increased equity, diversity, and inclusion in all programming. And that's, that's, a, that's a multifaceted story. And so I think all of the ideas you're bringing forth sound wonderful and needed a comprehensive equity diversity analysis of all we do and who we are and where we hope to be. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that kind of relates to, maybe that is the answer to the next thing I want to ask you, which is uh, since 2011, when we launched, when there was a paucity of models to study and learn from, Quite the opposite now, a decade later, I, I can name two or three dozen statewide STEM programs. I can name a hundred regional uh, or, or city specific uh, STEM initiatives. I, I can name a half dozen around the world. Um, so they've really proliferated models and many learned from us. For listeners who aren't aware, Aaron and the CSBR in partnership with the Iowa State University RISE Institute uh, were leads on a National Science Foundation grant. Uh, I think 2014 was the the award date, a multi-year uh, grant from the National Science Foundation, which I remember hearing from the program officer, was the first of its kind ever awarded by the NSF to study a statewide STEM program. So today I have no doubt that that study and the publications that came from it informed a lot of these other states that have uh, jumped on the STEM uh, movement bandwagon reform yeah i'm really glad you brought that up because uh, you had mentioned the center for educational assessment um, at the university of iowa now led by liz hollingsworth but um so cea was a collaborator on that nsf iowa stem education evaluation grant as well Um, and uh, the predecessor there was don yarborough and so certainly that was huge in getting our name out there. Uh, I'm contacted now. I must, uh, Iowa, I know is on a list somewhere um, on having developed some STEM education guidance, STEM, edu- STEM education evaluation guidance um, documents are just in terms of the experiences we've had here you and I have collaborated on a book chapter and a journal article. And certainly we have always answered when called. I'm gonna, I'll say that again. And certainly we have always answered when called to meet with other states, talk with them in terms of whatever stage they're at in launching or implementing their STEM initiative. You know, whether that's at the macro level of what other states are doing um, broadly or more at the micro levels, such as 
you know, how do you evaluate STEM and in informal learning settings, which may not be may not be STEM wide, maybe more uh, specific to a particular setting or something. I've always enjoyed participating and, and joining the conversation uh, for those larger, what I call think tank efforts. Uh, I, you know, at the regional level, the Midwest STEM Forum comes to mind. Um, at the national level, there's the STEM ecosystems model that's um, out there right now. So certainly uh, we can always learn from other states. We can always learn from each other. We can always improve upon um, what we've done before. Yeah. So true. And that cues up uh, what will likely be the last question I have for you, Erin. Speaking of continuous improvement and expanding services to be more effective, uh, although I want to say your annual efforts uh, that you and, of course, your colleagues put forth on our behalf is extremely valuable, very informative. It is, after all, the return on investment that, that our council members are looking for, that Iowans are looking for, what is this thing doing? And uh, you provide that evidence that we provide back to the legislature every year. So moving forward into the next decade, are we doing all we can and should do to leverage the expertise of the CSBR and, and of RISE and of ITP and the CEA? Here's these astounding world-class evaluation centers and operations and expertise. You're doing an amazing job for us in our behalf, annual report I mentioned earlier. Are we doing all we are we leveraging you the best we can or what advice would you have for us to leverage you even better? Well, as I think about that, there are a couple places that my mind goes. The, the first is to throw a question back at you is, are there other areas of your work, your programs, your activities, your efforts statewide that haven't been evaluated? And to that end, in evaluation, we often think about mapping those activities so you can see them together um, in what we would call a logic model in the in evaluation world. So, you know, that's just a, a really deliberate effort to map out, you know, the inputs and the activities that you're that you're doing each year and then what comes out of those and then what are the short-term, intermediate-term and long-term outcomes that arise from those efforts. Um, and then I think, you know, in terms of evaluation, the best way you can leverage evaluation in general is just pay attention to it, right? Like don't let it become dusty on the shelf. Um, you know, make sure that it stays current and relevant to the questions that the council wants, an wants answered. Make sure it evolves as new and better data sources come out, as more resources may become available to put towards evaluation. Resources might be time, it might be money, it might be a new partner, um, it could be any one of those things. But those are the, the couple areas that come to mind in terms of perhaps either building a more broader evaluation or thinking about it more cohesively across all of the um, things you do as a STEM council. Uh, I know there's, you know, the STEM best model, it gets evaluated. Um, the Iowa teacher externships get, get evaluated. Uh, but thinking about all of those activities so that together, so that you can really get a cohesive story about the impacts that the STEM council has had on the state. I, I am totally with you. And uh, intra-organizational analysis of all the programs and how they all feed 
or integrate or dovetail with each other in a pre-K-12 spectral um, analysis. But interestingly, you got me thinking too, and I'll invite listeners, of course, to email me or or Aaron with your own ideas about how we could better leverage these institutions. But uh, STEM had pioneered some approaches to education in Iowa, not that we invented them. These were often things that were happening in isolation before we came along that we've succeedingly scaled, things like interdisciplinary learning, which I'd prefer to call transdisciplinary learning, uh, not necessarily siloed subject area topics, but big picture questions about energy systems and, and, and weather and disease and so on. Um, that's one of the hallmarks of STEM that I've seen blossom uh, well beyond our you know, borders. And similarly, school business partnerships have erupted and emerged. And uh, we had a modest hand in, in helping to conceptualize that for Iowans, and it's gone crazy. In fact, there's so many entities now involved in school business partnerships, work-based learning, experiential learning, the sorts of things that, uh, um, that we helped get going in the state, but now are really going across uh, organizations. And so there's an inter-analysis, an inter-organizational analysis that we're all due for, the state of Iowa is due for, what the Department of Ed is involved in, what workforce development, the AEAs, uh, 4-H, uh, industries and, and trade organizations and professional societies and nonprofits. Uh, STEM is really uh, in, in the uh, portfolios of so many organizations now that uh, we have some inter-organizational analyses that we might consider down the line, intra and inter. Thank you. Well, that uh, calls to mind uh, what our director emeritus once said, uh, Dr. Jean Letts, was that if you don't evaluate it, it didn't happen. And I know that's particularly resonated um, you know, in some of the conversations that we've had with the council in terms of being able to document um, that return on investment for the council. Yeah, I think I remember that meeting, October 31st, 2011, at the Science Center of Iowa when Dr. Lutz informed our council of that uh, great little maxim. <laughs> and it has stuck. Well, Dr. Aaron Hyden, Assistant Director at the Center for Social and Behavioral Research at the University of Northern Iowa and our lead evaluator, thank you for stepping into the limelight from the background of Iowa STEM, where you make such a valuable contribution. We're fortunate to have your services. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. This has been episode three of our fourth series of STEM Essential podcasts featuring the voices of edunomic innovation brought to you by the Iowa Governor's STEM Advisory Council and sponsored by another wonderful partner, Alliant Energy. Thank you for listening. Join us next week to hear how Iowa has become a STEM state of mind with renowned national leader, Jan Morrison. Today's and all STEM Essential podcasts are available at iowastem.org forward slash podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to STEM Essential. This podcast is generously sponsored by Alliant Energy, a proud partner of the Governor's STEM Advisory Council. To learn more and find resources, please visit iowastem.org.